Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. One Sunday morning, the, the pastor noticed little Alex outside in the lobby, and he was staring up at a large plaque that was covered with names and small American flags that were mounted on either side of the, the plaques. And so the six-year-old, this little six-year-old guy had been staring at it for some time. So the pastor walked up and stood beside him and said quietly, good morning, Alex. Good morning, pastor. He replied, still completely transfixed and focused on the, the plaque. Pastor, what is this? Pastor replied, well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. It was quiet for a long time. They just stood there soberly staring at the large plaque. And finally, little Alex's voice, barely audible, trembling with fear, asked, which service, the 830 or the 10? <laughs> uh, next weekend is our patriotic celebration weekend, and we are going to honor all the brave men and women who served and uh, have served or are serving in our military, uh, so don't miss next weekend. But today is our, our sixth and our final week of our series on Genesis called Origins in the Beginning or Back to the Beginning. And we've been focusing on the first few chapters of Genesis. We've been looking at God's original plan, his original design, his original intention for critical aspects of our lives. And by the way, today, uh, my beautiful wife, Jenny, who stepped out, I think, to go feed the baby, she's going to come up towards the, the end, the kind of the second half of the message, and she's going to be uh, speaking with me. We're going to touch on uh, several issues today, including uh, marriage and family. And just a disclaimer to any parents, or you're, if you're watching online, we are going to talk about abortion a little bit, so just to give you a heads up. The title of our message this morning is From a Broken Family to a Blessed Family. From a broken family to a blessed family. Let me pray so then Brigham can stop playing behind me, all right? But let's pray. Lord, we honor you, we love you, we give our hearts to you today. Speak to us through the truth and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God created families as the, the single most essential foundation and building block of all human civilizations. In fact, we'll put a statement up on the, on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. Go ahead and put it up. A healthy, blessed family, a healthy, blessed family reflects God's image and character. It provides a safe place where children can experience God's love through their parents, and they are taught how to love others. It's no wonder, then, that since the very beginning, Satan has come against marriages and families. He's done it for all of history, and we're going to see he started with the first family. Today, we're going to look at Genesis chapters 3 and 4 and kind of cover a lot of ground. So if you have your Bible, you can open with me. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, which is a reference to Satan or the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice how the devil tries to twist God's words to plant doubt in her mind. 
to bring deception. He still does that. That's one of his key tactics. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is a flat out lie. Jesus says about Satan that he is the father of lies, that when he lies, it's his native language. He can only speak in lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. You notice that? Have you noticed that before? With her and he ate. In other words, Adam is right there with Eve. What was Adam doing? Why did he allow the devil to lie and deceive his wife when he was right there? God had commanded him to tend the garden, to keep the Garden of Eden. And here's the devil lying to his wife. And apparently he didn't do anything about it. I'm not preaching on this today, but men, this is a challenge to every single one of us, husbands and fathers. Have you let the devil into your house? And if so, why? It's your job to kick him out. <laughs> All right, I'll leave it there. Before this moment, before this moment, listen, all of humankind, which I know was only two, <laughs> Adam and Eve, but before this moment, all of humanity walked and lived in a perfect relationship with God and with each other. And in just a couple of moments, everything, everything in all of creation, including their relationship with God and their relationship with other, everything is broken because of sin. Every single one of us come from Adam and Eve. We have biological characteristics that we have inherited from the first couple. But we also have spiritual DNA that we've inherited as well. The Bible calls that our sinful nature. In other words, we are broken. We are all broken individuals and we have broken marriages and we have broken families because of sin. But the good news. The good news, men and women, is that we don't have to stay broken. We don't have to stay broken in our lives. We don't have to stay broken in our marriages. And we don't have to stay broken in our families. We can have blessed lives. We can have blessed marriages. We can have blessed families because of Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Genesis 1:28. God, God blessed them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God's original intention was blessing in our lives. And then Genesis 3 and 4, it is broken because of sin, forfeited to Satan. I talked about that the second week. But now, because of Jesus, blessing has been recovered. So I don't know what kind of family 
you have right now. I don't know what kind of family you came from. You might think my family's broken. My house is broken. My marriage is broken. I came from dysfunction. My, grand, my grandfather was an alcoholic and my dad was an alcoholic. Men and women, you don't have to be. Your family can be blessed. You can go from a broken family to a blessed family. That's the title of our message today. Acts chapter three, verse 25, Peter is preaching. And the context is he's talking about Jesus, but he quotes from Genesis chapter 12 about Abraham. And he says this, and in your seed, and again, the, the context of Peter is about Jesus. Who is the seed of Jesus? It's you and I. It's those that have come into relationship with him. And in your seed, all the what? What does it say? Come on, help me out. All of the what? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you, first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. Sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Iniquities, it means sin. That means wickedness. It means evil. It means depravity. In other words, in Christ, you can move, you can change, you can turn from being a broken family to being a blessed family. And I, I don't say this pridefully, so I hope it doesn't come across that way, but I'm just letting you know that in this house, in this church, there is a grace and there is an anointing because of my parents, Bob and Sherry, our founding pastors, to have blessed marriages and blessed families. And so if you're here, this is a place to raise your elementary kids. This is the place to raise your teenagers. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what's happening in our world or our culture. As for us, we're serving the Lord. <laughs> As for the cause church, we're serving the Lord. We're raising blessed families in this church. We have blessed marriages in this church. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, brokenness entered and three things happened. Number one is this. <clears throat> the brokenness that results from sin is shame. Because of sin, brokenness came in, and as a result of brokenness, these things we now deal with. And the first one is shame. Pick up Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, listen to this, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Was it because God didn't know? He wanted to see how Adam would respond. And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When sin entered the world, the first thing that Adam and Eve felt was shame. They had, we don't know how long they had been there, but they had been naked the whole time. <laughs> this was, so it's not talking about their physical eyes, it's talking about their spiritual eyes were open. They didn't feel shame because the monkeys were pointing at them laughing or the hyenas. <laughs> That's not why. They felt shame because of their sin and they felt fear because of their shame. And listen, Shame always creates distance in any relationship. They hid from God, and we do the same thing. When we sin, when the devil tempts us to sin, 
and he lies to us, he deceives us, and then when we fall into the sin, then he puts shame on us. And then what does shame do? It drives us away from God. It drives, it drives people away from the house of God. I know a lot of people, sometimes I haven't seen you in a while, and if they start to tell me honestly, it's because they felt shame because of something that they did. Shame, shame causes distance in our relationships, in our marriages. We hide from each other in our marriages because of shame. But God has provided a way to deal with our shame. In fact, later in the chapter, Genesis 3.21, it says, For Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. They had made their own coverings, but God made coverings for them. And, and the, the, the skin was from an animal that God had to kill and he had to shed the blood of the animal because blood is the only thing that covers shame. Men and women, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that will cover shame in your life and in my life. On the cross, when Jesus shed his blood, he did not just cover our sin, but he covered our shame as well. He took all of your shame upon himself so that you could have the righteousness of God. In fact, the blessing that God provides, here's, the, here's the, the point, the blessing that God provides is his righteousness. Isaiah 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Don't allow the devil to put shame on you. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, that promise is only for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, there's still shame on you. For those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So when the devil, the next time he comes and tries to say, shame on you, how do you call yourself a Christian? How are you a leader at the cause church? You have no place, no business in being there. Shame on you. You say, get behind me, Satan. Shame is not on me. Shame is on Jesus who took my shame on the cross. So get out of here. Get out of my life. Get out of my marriage. Get out of my family. Because you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're set free, you're redeemed. Come on, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Number two, the brokenness that results from sin is blame. It's shame and it's blame. Verse 11, back to the story. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, listen to this. The woman whom you gave to be with me. <laughs> In one statement, Adam not only blames his wife and throws her under the bus, he blames God. Everything was fine, God, with the hippos and the chimpanzees until she showed up. And it's your fault, too. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The devil made me do it. Listen, we do the same thing in our lives, in our marriages, in our families. We make bad choices. We disobey God's, God's commands and we suffer the consequences and we blame God for it. 
Or we blame the devil for it. The devil made me. The devil can't make you do anything. He doesn't have that power and authority over you, men and women. He can tempt you, but you, you have a choice. We blame our spouses. It's her fault. It's his fault. We point out their faults and their failures and their sin instead of looking at our own brokenness and mistakes. We see it in our children. I was laughing this morning. Jenny and I are getting ready for church this morning to preach together in the bathroom. Our two kids, our junior high son, our high school daughter are watching our four-month-old baby and they're blaming each other for her crying. It's your fault. It's your fault. It just started, I literally just started laughing. They blame us as parents. Several years ago, I was having conflict in all of my, all of my relationships, in my marriage, with my coworkers, with my family. You know, half the coworkers here are my family. <laughs> and I was like, what's wrong with all these knuckleheads? And then I finally realized, wait a second, I'm the common denominator in all these relationships. What's wrong with me? Listen. When we blame others, we don't take responsibility for the sin in our lives, for our own brokenness. So here's the blessing that God provides is his forgiveness. Because when you ask God to forgive you, part of what you're doing is you're taking ownership and responsibility for your sin. That's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. Help me to change. Forgive me. 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, when you forgive other people, you take responsibility for, for your heart so that sin can't grow in your heart. Unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, hatred, resentment, hopelessness, depression. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If you're gonna make it in your marriage, you have to forgive each other. Parents, we ought to model forgiveness to our kids. When we mess up, ask for forgiveness. If a family member offends you, mistreats you, abuses you, forgive. How many of our families are broken because of unforgiveness? Number three is this, and then I'm gonna finish here and Jenny will come up. The brokenness that results from sin, listen, is selfishness that negatively affects others. It's selfishness that negatively affects others. We've already seen that in Adam and Eve, but we see this in their kids, in the first family, in Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter four, Adam, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, listen, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions. Do you see the difference? the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Other passages of scripture reference this and talk about how Cain's heart was wicked. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will, you will be accepted if you do what is right. 
But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. The, the language there is like a personification of sin, like a crazed animal just waiting for the door of his life to be opened, to devour him. And God says, but you must subdue it and be its master. That sounds like Genesis 1.28 to me. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The very first family, the first set of brothers was broken by the ultimate act of selfishness, taking another's life. Listen, sin might be secret, but it's never private because everything that we do and say in our lives, including our sin, affects other people. So the blessing that God provides for us and for our families is his love to serve others. Galatians 5 says, for you, my brothers, were, were called to freedom, but only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness, selfishness, but through love, serve and seek the best for one another. If you're gonna have a blessed family, if you're gonna have a blessed life, if you're gonna have a blessed marriage, men and women, every single one of us, we need God to fill us with his love so that we can serve other people. And it starts at home. It starts with our spouse. It starts with our children. It starts with our grandchildren. But we need God's love so that we can serve others. You know, as we've been, we've been talking about God's original plan for, for marriage and sex and, and families, one of the primary hellish attacks in our world, in our culture, in our nation today, and, and I think one of the highest forms of selfishness that has negatively affected millions upon millions upon millions of families is abortion. And um, it, it's interesting, Jenny and I have been planning to address abortion for weeks. When we started this, planning this series, this was one of the, the topics, and it's just so coincides how God Planted, I guess, for the series anyway, that on Friday, that historic Supreme Court decision, aren't you thankful for that, men and women? Aren't you? I mean, I'm, I mean, you ought to praise the Lord for that. An answer, literally an answer to millions of prayers for over five decades. Um, and so I, I, I've asked Jenny and God's put on her heart to speak to this for a few minutes this morning. Would you welcome her as she comes up to share Hi, church. It's good to see you. So glad to be here today. Um, it's an honor. So thank you for listening. And I have a hard topic to talk about today, but we can do hard things, right? The Bible says that the truth will set us free. So you're going to hear some truth today. And I pray that you will not feel condemnation, but that you will feel loved and accepted just as you are. So Cain's blood cries out, from the ground. In Genesis 4:10 it says, "The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground." 
The blood that cries out from the ground to God in this verse is in the plural in Hebrew. It literally means your brother's bloods with an S are crying out to me. This stands for violently shed blood that must be avenged. Such blood in the Bible stains and it pollutes the land. In Genesis 4.10, this violently shed blood cried out to God in a way that was in desperation. The word for cry in Hebrew here is used for human expressions of the most desperate, extreme need. So paraphrased, God tells Cain, the rivers of your brother's blood desperately cry out to me from the ground for revenge. This first human death when Cain murders Abel anticipates widening violence that will come and that will pollute the whole earth. We learn in Genesis 6:11 that eventually the whole earth becomes corrupt and filled with violence and God uses a flood to kill almost all living beings. Afterward, God makes a new start with Noah and his family, stressing for the first time in human history that humans may not kill one another. I'm gonna say that again. God has said that humans may not kill one another. If someone murders another human, as Cain did, God promises in Genesis 9-5 to require a reckoning for the blood of the slain. Killing and human violence don't stop in the Bible, nor have they stopped in the contemporary world today. The Cain and Abel story is a precursor to future murders of innocents up until now. In Genesis 4-10, the plural of bloods and the present tense of the verb is crying out, point to the blood of later generations, still crying out to God in a desperate plea for reckoning. There have been over 50 million babies that have been aborted in the last five decades. Abortion is the antichrist demonic parody of communion. That's why it uses the same holy words that Jesus said, this is my body with the blasphemously opposite meaning. Here are some biblical reasons why abortion is wrong. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during the Nazi regime. Bonhoeffer pastored during a time that his government, the Nazis, claimed that an entire segment of humanity had no personhood. They were not people. Bonhoeffer audaciously declared, not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. We must speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We must. When it comes to abortion, everyone knows what is happening. All the world knows we are killing children. Pro-choice and pro-life people know this. Sinful hardness of heart, not innocent ignorance, lies at the root of this carnage. Are the unborn human? Yes. The science of embryology even proves this. It's crystal clear and teaches us that from the earliest stage of development, from the one cell stage at fertilization, you are a distinct, living, whole human being. Therefore, the commands in scripture that forbid the shedding of innocent blood of other humans apply to the unborn, just like they do to everyone else. Abortion has become the sacrament of the sexual revolution. Abortion as a last ditch effort of birth control frees women to have sex without babies and it frees men even more from sexual responsibility. The abortion battle isn't just about the unborn, it's about our sex lives. Only sex makes the baby that abortion kills and babies are not sex accidents. 
Abortions come from self-deification. To deify something is to treat it as God. So self-deification is to act as though you are God. John Piper, a pastor that I respect, who's been on the front lines of the abortion movement for over four decades, has said, in America, humanness, the existence of a human being, is decreed by the will of a mother. The baby is young and weak. He can't cry out, I'm human. Therefore, the will of the older, the stronger holds sway. And by her will, she may decide you are a human or not. If she does choose humanness, no one may legally kill that baby. And if she does not choose humanness, the baby may be legally with impunity killed. That is legally enshrined self-deification. The strong decide which of the weak are persons. That sounds a lot like what Hitler did in Germany. According to God's word, a baby inside and outside the womb gets its personhood from God. Psalm 139, 13 to 16 say, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I, made, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's divine person-forming work in the womb is not to be preempted by any self-deifying human being. Children in the womb are not clumps of cells. They are people. They are sons and they are daughters. They are innocent of any crime deserving death. Their blood is being poured out in the most gruesome procedures of dismemberment. Abortion says that unborn babies have value only as expendable commodities, that each baby is only a clump of tissue devoid of any purpose of life. There's not a place for a child in my life right now, so I will extinguish it. Or maybe even this child might have a disability which will limit my chance at a good life or its chance for having any quality of life, so I will terminate. But the gospel says we have tremendous value as God's image bearers. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image and the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, like I just read in Psalm 139. We have lovingly received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Roman 8, Romans 8.15 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created, oh, I'm sorry. I was reading Genesis 127 again, sorry. And finally, God's glory and grace shine even and especially in those with physical limitations or weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. Abortion is an assault on the image, character, grace, gospel, and glory of God. For the Christian to see it as anything less than that is to reject a biblical view of God's gospel and God's glory. I read a really good book um, this past month called Three Approaches to Abortion by Peter Kreeft. There's three essays in here, and he wrote this book for pro-life Christians to be able to have dialogue with their pro-choice friends in a healthy way. So I highly recommend this. It's very easy to read. But Dr. Kreeft says, for the face that confronts us, 
is not just the tiny innocent face of the human baby whom we have procreated, but the enormous innocent face of Almighty God who has created us and the baby. It is his image that abortion kills. Abortion is homicide and homicide is deicide because man is God's image, God's child. People often ask, where was God in the Holocaust? The answer is that he was in the victims. He was gassed. So those children who are deemed unwanted by birth parents for whatever reason, even in the heartbreaking cases of rape or incest, which grieves the Lord and should grieve us as a church, those children are wanted, valued, and loved by God. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Human beings are not just known, we are purposed. We won't always understand the details around our beginnings, but only God knows our ends. His love and his plan can redeem any story. Genesis 50.20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I've read countless stories over this past month of people who were conceived by rape, by incest, by horrible circumstances, who are living full and healthy lives. God has redeemed their story. We do not wish that upon anyone, absolutely not, but it is not the child's fault. The Bible, human reason, and natural law tell us that murder is the greatest evil against humanity, and abortion is murder. But what about if the baby will be severely disabled or malformed? To choose to give birth to a child that falls into a disability category is to choose an element of suffering. That's a reality. In our Western world, we've been conditioned to avoid suffering at all costs. Yet God loves to show his gracious power through suffering, not just by helping people to avoid it. This doesn't mean that we should seek suffering for ourselves or others, but it does mean that suffering is generally portrayed in the Bible as the necessary and God-ordained, though not God-pleasing, plight of this fallen world. Suffering is also the necessary portion of all who would enter the kingdom and live lives of godliness. Suffering is a necessary means of growing deep with God and becoming strong in this life, and it is a necessary means of becoming something glorious in the life to come. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James 1, 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. When we reason that taking life is less evil than the difficulties that will accompany life, we are making ourselves wiser than God, who teaches us that his grace is capable of stupendous feats of love through the suffering of those who live. I watched a story recently of a woman named Gianna Jessen who survived uh, abortion at 29 weeks old when her 17-year-old mother walked into a Los Angeles Planned Parenthood. I'm not gonna go into the details of what a saline abortion is because it's horrific, but Gianna was, I'll say this, for 18 hours in her mother's womb, she was essentially burned alive. She was born 
in April 1977 in a Planned Parenthood facility alive instead of dead. No matter what they did to this little baby, she just would not die. So they were forced to call an ambulance and she is alive today and she speaks all around the world telling people about the love of Jesus. She believes that her life was purpose, that God saved her. Even with cerebral palsy, even with surviving, the doctor said that she survived the most crucial, horrendous form of trauma that, any, that is possible for any human being. And she said, that is the glory of God. She even got a chance to meet her birth mother and offer her forgiveness. And her birth mother looked her in the eye and told her that she wished she was dead and that she was a mistake. Good thing I don't get my identity from her, she said. The quality of my life is determined by the Lord and I will shout his name and his fame for as long as I live. If we stand and be bold for the innocent and not be hindered by the fear of man, countless lives can be saved. By the way, doctors, tests, and ultrasounds are wrong all the time. I read just this week that 30 to 60% of ultrasounds that are done are wrong. That is a staggering amount. One of my friends, Pastor Leanne Matesius, who uh, pastors a church in San Diego with her husband, Jurgen, her and I were pregnant with our daughters at the same time. I was pregnant with Neveh and she was pregnant with her daughter, Zoe. The first time I met her, I excitedly brought an ultrasound to our dinner together because as a first time mom, I was excited to talk about my baby. And as I sat across the table from her and showed her my ultrasound, I could tell that it upset her. And I said, do you have a picture of, you know, of your, I didn't know what to say, or do you have a picture of your baby? Are you doing okay? She said, we're not gonna get any more ultrasounds. The doctors gave us some bad news, but we're gonna stand on the word and believe that our daughter is gonna be okay. In her ultrasound, the doctors told her that their daughter was gonna be born with severe limitations and she would not have a great quality of life, that Leanne might even die in childbirth. We're not gonna believe that, she said. We're gonna stand on the word of the Lord and no matter what this baby looks like or how she comes out, we're gonna raise her and we are going to love her. Well, seven months later when her daughter was born, she was perfectly healthy. There was absolutely nothing wrong with her. Either the ultrasound was wrong or God did a miraculous healing. But I'm here to say, don't trust doctors all the time. They're wrong more often than they think. That's why they call it practicing medicine. There is grace, hope, encouragement, and healing for those who have had abortion. Jesus offers forgiveness for everyone involved, for the mother who aborted her child, for the father who encouraged it, for the doctor who performed it, for the activist who tried to stop it, for the employees of abortion clinics, for the politician who supported it, and for the passive person who never thinks about it nor cares about it at all. I know there are people in this church who've had abortions or who have supported them in one of the ways I just mentioned. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by this message because the center of all we preach and believe here at church is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Here, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news in the world to women who are tempted to hate themselves for aborting a child. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners. He is risen and reigning and is the only reality in the world that gives pardon to the agents of death and gives power to the agents of life, all for the glory of God. And that is the gospel flag that we wave over this message today. Abortion is not the only alternative. We need to give our money, time, and prayers to that end, especially now, to render abortion unthinkable because support for women and their families is so abundant. That support doesn't start with the government, it starts with the church. People do not need to look to the government for their healing, they need to look to us. So our church is going to be stepping forth our effort and our role in practically caring for women who are pregnant. This week the Lord put on my heart to put together resources for women on our church website that include lists of local no-cost pregnancy resource centers that will provide free ultrasounds, OB referrals, education on Medi-Cal and birthing classes. There's also gonna be information on Christian counseling, foster and adoption resources, grace groups for new single moms and dads, and it's also gonna have information how you and I can be involved in loving and supporting these men and women in practical and powerful ways. So the main issue is this. Have you, have we as a church thrown ourselves at the feet of Jesus asking him for mercy? This week I had to repent for my part in the abortion movement. Father, I've asked for your forgiveness for driving my friend to get her abortion. Father, please forgive me for my happenstance attitude, for not for looking the other way, for saying it's too horrific, I can't see. I don't wanna deal with it. Forgive me, Lord, for that. Forgive me for not speaking up. I'm never gonna be silent again. I don't presume to know you, your circumstances, but I know that if you've had an abortion or if you've been part of an abortion, it's because your mind and your heart were led to believe lies. Lies come from a dark place where light and truth don't reign, only pride. The same pride that caused Eve to assume true freedom and happiness could only be experienced apart from God, we give into that same lie. And due to sin's influence, we can follow in Eve's footsteps. Let's stop that today. If you're considering abortion, I beg you to walk another way. There are tens of thousands of people, of couples out there waiting to adopt children, waiting. By faith, take another route, the path that leads to life and not death. Jesus can heal any hurt, any brokenness in your life. He can heal your marriage, he can heal your family, he can heal your womb. He forgives all sin and he redeems all pain. And if you're feeling a mean voice in your head right now accusing you of something, that's the enemy and you need to tell him to go back to hell where he belongs. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren and we are not here to condemn you but we are here to tell the truth of the gospel. I needed to repent. There's probably a lot of us in here that need to repent for a lot of things. Even if you haven't been involved in abortion, whatever brokenness you're experiencing today, I urge you to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. 
Ask the Lord to heal you. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Everyone here is a beloved child of God. So I'm gonna ask you today, I'm not gonna, I don't want anybody to raise their hands, I don't want anybody to come forward, but in your seat right now, if you could just close your eyes for a second. If you could put your hands up, maybe like someone's gonna put something in your hand, like you're ready to receive something, let's do that in your seats. And I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for our church right now. I thank you, God, that this is a place of hope and healing. I thank you that you love and you care deeply for every single person in this room. They are your sons, they are your daughters who you died for, who you love desperately. Father, I thank you that your forgiveness is here today, that the blood of Jesus, I pray, would wash over every single person in this room. Lord, I ask as a church that you would forgive us for our complacency, you would forgive us for our silence. And I thank you, God, that you are going to equip us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to help this new generation of the born, of the alive, of the children that are coming, Lord God, to be put in happy and healthy homes. Lord, where the enemy has come in to steal, kill, and destroy, I pray that that would stop today in Jesus' name, that you would redeem everything, you would turn it around, that you would shift things in our households. If there's any demonic strongholds in our minds and our bodies, I pray against that in Jesus' name. I pray that that would be broken off of people today. I thank you, Lord that we were made in your image. But when we look into the face of Jesus, Lord, that all is well, it is well with my soul. I pray that all of us today could say that it is well with my soul. I thank you that there's no more shame. Instead, there is God's righteousness in the blood of Jesus. I thank you there's no more blame. Instead, there is God's forgiveness. I thank you that instead of selfishness, we turn that around to accept God's love. And I thank you that your word says that you put the broken in families, Lord, and I pray, God, that as a church family, we would surround our brothers and sisters today, that brokenness would be something of the past, God, and that health and wholeness would be our future. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for our time together here today. Amen. Your eyes closed just for another moment. Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, and you're not in relationship with the Lord. You never made that decision before. It's only through Jesus. It's only through what he accomplished for you and I, giving up his life, shedding his blood, dying on the cross, and then rising from the dead on the third day. He's alive, and he offers abundant and eternal life, men and women. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you've never received him in your life before. Maybe you walked away from him, and you're far from him, but you want to come back to him. You, you miss him. You know, you know that he loves you and you miss his presence in your life, I wanna offer that to you right now. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. If that's you, if you're watching online, you can let our online team know, but if that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. I wanna see you and then lead you in a prayer. One, two, three. Hold your hand up, hold your hand up. I see you, friend, I know you. Anybody else here this morning? Just give one more moment, praise the Lord. God, we thank you for your love. Pastor Junior, come on up here, get ready to close. Thank you for your love, thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, we want to live blessed lives, that bless marriages, bless families that bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.